Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to Fertility Cafe. I'm your host, Eloise Drain. On today's episode, we're going to talk about PCOS, or polycystic ovary syndrome, a common hormonal disorder which happens to be the leading cause of infertility in women. PCOS is one of the most critical, underdiagnosed, underfunded, and neglected areas of health. 50% of women and girls with PCOS are going undiagnosed, and when a diagnosis is achieved, patients experience a large disparity between the diagnosis and the support they require. My guest is Sasha Otti, the founder and executive director of PCOS Challenge, the National Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Association. Serving 55,000 members, PCOS Challenge is the leading patient support and advocacy organization for people with PCOS. Sasha started PCOS Challenge after she was diagnosed with PCOS and experienced great dissatisfaction with the availability of support resources for women with the condition. As executive director of PCOS Challenge, Sasha built a coalition of over 70 major national and international health organizations and led the first successful legislative advocacy effort in the U.S. Congress to recognize the seriousness of PCOS, the need for further research, improved treatment and care options, and for a cure for PCOS and to designate September as PCOS Awareness Month. Ooh, Lord, that was a lot. Sasha also created the PCOS Awareness Symposium, the largest event globally dedicated to polycystic ovary syndrome, which has educated thousands of patients and healthcare professionals about PCOS since 2013. In 2018, Sasha helped organize the first international conference on PCOS in India for both patients and healthcare providers. Sasha is a clinical and research microbiologist with a bachelor's degree in clinical laboratory science from Howard University and has a master's in health administration from the University of Phoenix. Prior to founding PCOS Challenge, Sasha was a contract research microbiologist at the National Institute of Health. So welcome, Sasha. Thank you for being part of our podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Eloise. So I am going to jump right in and start. I know I, you know, obviously shared about your, uh, your bio, but would you mind sharing more about yourself? Sure. So my name is Sasha Ati. I am founder and executive director of PCOS Challenge. We're the National Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Association. And this organization was founded because of my own uh, experience with being diagnosed with PCOS and then having very little support, very little information to improve my health, to manage my health. And then after doing research, realizing that there were millions of people in the same position as I was. So PCOS Challenge 
is a support and advocacy organization for all people with PCOS who are impacted um, with fertility issues, with metabolic health issues, with mental health issues, all that stem from PCOS. So we're here to give a voice to patients and clinicians and all stakeholders who are impacted by PCOS. So how prevalent is PCOS? Hmm. So polycystic ovary syndrome is estimated to impact about 10% of women and up to 20 or 21% in some parts of the world where they have better prevalence data. So the, the estimates vary, um, but the, the, the underlying thread is it's the most common endocrine or hormone disorder impacting women. Is it being tracked? Like, does it get tracked in the U.S. of how many women actually deal with? And is there good testing? I I know I'm like, now you got my mind just like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that we need, there is a paucity of data around PCOS. We do need better studies that show the impact, that show the incidence and the prevalence of PCOS. In other parts of the world, they do do a much better job of tracking based on how their health care system is set up, their insurance system is set up. In the U.S., it's a kind of a different ballgame, right? And so that's one of the things that as patients, as an organization, we're pushing for is better data around uh, and better transparency around uh, tracking PCOS prevalence in the United States. So do you think it's, it's a common known factor for a lot of women? Or do you find that, you know, women have no idea what polycystic ovarian syndrome is? So you can ask uh, 20 people with PCOS what it was like to get diagnosed. Many people go decades without getting a diagnosis. And when they do get the diagnosis, they had never even heard of it. Now, Things are changing a bit. The awareness is improving, um, but it's still quite lacking. So you'll hear all the time. The first time I heard about PCOS was when I got the diagnosis. And yet, it, it, if you line up 10 people, uh, between one and five, uh, and five people will have PCOS. So it's really prevalent, really, it's, and it's connected to so many of the biggest burdens on healthcare and biggest impacts on your quality of life, yet it had been going under the radar for so long until now we're, we're kind of speaking up and putting a face or putting our faces to the disorder and the impact that it has on uh, on people and their families. What's like common symptoms of the Okay, so I'll just, I'll back up a little and just tell you more about what PCOS is. You know, that probably should have been my first question. (laughs) (laughs) So PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome, you may also hear it called PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome is the most common hormone disorder in women. It impacts 10 to 20% of women. And it's the most common cause of female anovulatory infertility. It means it causes issues with ovulation and uh, making it one of the most common causes of infertility. 
PCOS is also a metabolic disorder that 50% uh, of PCOS patients will become diabetic or pre-diabetic before age 40. That means in your teens, in your early 20s, PCOS is an independent risk factor for becoming a diabetic. Um, it's also connected to uh, cardiovascular disease, inflammation, low diet, um, low vitamin D, so many issues, and, and also mental health issues, bipolar disorder, anxiety, depression, eating disorders. It's a constellation of symptoms. It's also a diagnosis of exclusion. So if you have PCOS, you're likely to experience uh, menstrual disorders. So you may skip a period or you may um, bleed for longer than is normal. So that's irregular menstruation. And then you may have issues such as hirsutism, which is excessive facial or body hair in women. Uh, things that most women um, are uncomfortable with or don't want. It's unwanted to grow a beard as a woman. Or other symptoms that uh, are caused by high androgens or male uh, hormones uh, include severe cystic acne or um, HS, some really painful boils in the folds of your skin. You may also experience other issues connected to insulin resistance, such as darkening of your skin, your neck. Uh, that's called acanthosis nigricans. And then sometimes your physician or your OBGYN will see, uh, will look at your ovaries and see what they consider to be polycystic ovaries, which are lots of little arrested or immature follicles or eggs in your ovaries. So if you have two, two of three of the following, irregular menstrual cycles, signs or blood work showing high androgens, or if your doctor sees uh, polycystic ovaries, if you have two or three of those, then you can be diagnosed with PCOS. So there's not a very specific, like we're testing specifically for this. And so we know exactly that that's what the issue is. That's a specific test. Um, the, it's your taking your family history. And if you have or taking your history, if you have uh, irregular menstrual cycles, that's one of the, the first signs. If you have um, facial hair or the severe cystic acne, that's another sign. Or if you have blood work showing high androgens, such as testosterone, that's, that's another sign. And then the ultrasound, which isn't always done, but if that shows polycystic ovaries, those are the three things you have to check off and then exclude for other disorders that may mimic or may look like PCOS, such as maybe a, a tumor that's causing you to grow facial hair or something like that. But there are other things that are not specific to PCOS that's very common, such as rapid weight gain and difficulty losing weight, high anxiety and depressive symptoms. These aren't specific, but they're very common to PCOS patients. Is it a, a lifelong disorder? It is. And, you know, it's very confusing because you hear PCOS um, often described as a reproductive, a disorder of reproductive age. 
um, which, you know, is doing a huge disservice to um, people getting diagnosed or people who aren't uh, trying to conceive. It's a huge problem. So PCOS doesn't just go away after menopause. You still have some of the symptoms related to PCOS. You still have uh, some of the risks such as the cardiovascular disease risk, such as the um, risk for diabetes and um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and all of these other metabolic health issues, they're still there. And so having a hysterectomy or um, may help with some of the symptoms, um, especially if you're dealing with painful periods or prolonged periods, or uh, the, that may help. With, and some people may choose to do that, but it does not make PCOS go away. It's a whole body, multi-organ system uh, issue because it's a hormone condition. And hormones rule everything in your body. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I know, or I've heard anyway, that um, PCOS isn't really well understood. You know, I, I guess if you you heard that some of those symptoms that I mentioned earlier, you're thinking, well, you know, that should be easy enough to diagnose. But to be quite, how many have your has your doctor ever asked you about um, whether or not you? have facial hair or, you know, so some of the things may not come up in your doctor's visit that you, where you see your doctor for 10 to 15 minutes and other issues stem from doctors not diagnosing PCOS patients unless they're trying to conceive. Um, that's a huge issue. So there are multiple points of potential intervention, right? Between adolescence, when you first start exhibiting some of these symptoms and when someone starts having trouble conceiving. But uh, because for some reason, some, you know, and this is, a, this is a problem where some people are not getting diagnosed unless they're trying to conceive. And, but it is a complex disorder. It does not impact everyone the same way. Not everyone has fertility issues, even though it's the most common cause of female infertility. Um, not everyone has weight issues, even though um, it's weight issues or, um, or uh, rapid weight gain is common in PCOS. And not everyone has the same picture for PCOS. So some people like myself, I, the, one of the longest symptoms history that I've had with uh, PCOS symptom is hair loss. So in my teenage years, I was starting to lose my hair and that there was nobody ever connected the dots uh, for me then. Um, so I got diagnosed in my late twenties. And so it's, it's kind of a confusing symptom, but it's also frustrating. It's frustrating for PCOS patients and for clinicians because there aren't many things in the toolbox to help. So this is where research comes in and the need for more research that can inform better treatments and lead to better outcomes for PCOS patients. Do you, is there advanced screening for PCOS possible? I mean, is it something that you don't necessarily have to wait until you are trying to conceive and realize that you can't, that that, that is what, I mean, is, yeah, I mean, it's puberty or potentially, right? So if if you're a 16 or 17 year old with and or you you notice your 17 year old or 16 year old has facial hair, that's probably one of the things that you should bring your child to the doctor and 
or, you know, an ex excessive amount of fa facial hair or body hair. That's, that's a sign that there's something happening in your, to her endocrine system. And that could be one of the first opportunities for um, getting a diagnosis. Um, other things, yes, it's challenging because the, there's a, you know, this period of time during puberty where everyone may kind of struggle with irregular cycles and acne. So, but the pediatric specialists who understand PCOS, they'll know to kind of monitor patients, if, especially if they're showing facial hair or, um, or having very severe irregular cycles that that's abnormal. So there, yes, there are multiple points of potential intervention, earlier intervention, where we don't have to wait until, as clinicians and um, even patients, wait until we're having difficulty getting pregnant or becoming pre-diabetic or hypertensive. A lot, most people, even if they got diagnosed late, later in life, can look back, like retrospectively, connect the dots where they always knew something was off, right? Something wasn't right. I think we are all, we, we, we know when something's not quite right with our bodies, but many of us are getting dismissed. And <laughs> that's, that, that really is uh, one of the challenges yeah. just in women's health in general. That definitely something I have heard often. Do, do you think, um, or potentially could testing for predisposal to PCOS prior presence of symptoms be possible? Uh, so there are, you know, there, innovation is needed and there, there are opportunities there for, because it's a genetic disorder. So most people in their 30s or um, who, they're starting to notice things in their daughters, mm -hmm. right? But if you have a family history of PCOS or if you have a family history of diabetes and hypertension, uh, the more knowledge we have, the more uh, the easier it is for us to ask our uh, clinicians or doctors. Uh, do you think that this may may be PCOS? She has irregular cycles, or she has uh, severe acne, or and she's very active, but she's gaining weight. Um, I I I don't understand. Is there is the, could this be one of the issues? So yes, there. There are potential opportunities there, but then, you know, I think further down the line as industry becomes more interested in trying to understand the puzzle of PCOS, um, I think that there will be innovations. I think there will be um, tests like simple blood tests or there are opportunities once we understand more about the genetic underpinnings, more about the um, what actually causes PCOS. Yeah. Well, what should a woman or even a girl who's worried that she may have PCOS like do first and what should she keep in mind? Yeah. So one of the things, it's, it sounds scary. It's, it's kind of a scary thing when you get diagnosed with something like PCOS, but you have no real path to improving your health, right? There, it requires an individualized and multidisciplinary approach, which means um, you may require a team of different specialists such as, okay, you have your primary care or OBGYN, but then 
Other specialists include a registered dietitian or a nutritionist, someone who has a deep understanding of PCOS or specializes in PCOS, can help you to find an individualized uh, way of eating for your body to um, address whatever deficiencies you may have, whatever imbalances that may be causing some of your symptoms. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to managing PCOS. So that's where there's going to be trial and error. Most of the medications that are used for PCOS or prescribed for PCOS are off-label use. So first thing you may get uh, prescribed will be oral contraceptives to help to manage the high androgens. That works for some people, doesn't work for others like myself. In fact, I have, I've had adverse reactions to um, oral contraceptives, you know, causing depressive symptoms and things like that. So you do have to be very mindful and pay attention to how medications or even supplements impact you. Next, uh, the other drug that's commonly used is metformin, which is, you, you may be familiar with it as a diabetic drug, a drug for um, type 2 diabetes, but PCOS is the most common off-label use of metformin. Uh, <laughs> Again, this works for some, especially those with insulin resistance, and it doesn't work for others. There are other drugs such as spironolactone, which is an anti-androgen, but it is something that you cannot take if you're trying to conceive, right? Because it can uh, feminize a male, uh, your male offspring or fetus. Yeah, besides that, it's lifestyle is the um, top recommended treatment for PCOS, but what that means is different from person to person. So you just need a team. Um, and hopefully, it, and if we can't afford a team because we have issues with access to care or access to insurance or whatever uh, may be causing your uh, causing you not to have access. There's all, always, whether you have access to these people or not, um, finding a support system, reaching out to PCOS Challenge, um, pcoschallenge.org and pcoschallenge.com is a community for a PCOS patients. And you don't understand how much support means until you're in the position where you do need that support. So a team of women and girls or or families who understand or who are dealing with the same thing, who come together to support each other is such a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that I can definitely agree. I know from your website that PCOS awareness and support organizations receive less than, less than 1% of the government, corporate, foundation, and community funding that other health conditions receive. Why do you feel that is? So women's health in general is probably one of the most underfunded areas of health, right? <laughs> but within that, PCOS is, has historically been kind of this orphan uh, disorder, which is unfortunate because it's so prevalent. And it's not, it wasn't so long ago that it was also considered a rare disorder because of how little awareness there is about it. So once we understood the connection between the lack of funding leading to the lack of research or the lack of knowledge, you know, creating these huge knowledge gaps, because we hear stories from people all over the world 
in India, Australia, UK, um, US, uh, Caribbean, everywhere people have the sim similar stories. So people are not making this up. This is how our lives are being impacted by the lack of knowledge, which is caused by lack of research and lack of research funding. Hence why we had to build this legislative advocacy um, platform with PCOS Challenge because we were doing a lot of reaching out to the people who were funding uh, researchers and asking why is it's so underfunded and how can we change this? And quickly realized that because Congress did not know that this was an issue, it was not getting addressed. So we had to go directly to Congress. Yeah. Well, I wonder though, could that be the, a failure to efficiently diagnose PCOS is in part a failure of diversity in medical research and do you see medical research, especially for PCOS, as a social justice issue? Oh, it's absolutely a social justice issue. It's, you know, uh, we're looking so much further upstream and billions and billions of dollars are um, going to these to trying to figure out these disorders, such as diabetes, right? That's they're huge, they're huge efforts. But PCOS has been conspicuously absent from those conversations. And PCOS is, um, has been listed on the um, NIDDK, which is the Diabetes and Kidney Institute, as an independent risk factor for developing type 2 diabetes. Why then has the funding into this very prevalent disorder that impacts over 10% of women, not reflected the need, right? So yes, so peace, it's, I, you know, I think it's a, because it's a, it's a, a, major, a woman's health issue. Um, and also because nobody had been asking before. Sure. There hadn't been an advocacy effort. Um, there hadn't been a PCOS challenge. There hadn't been a, a group of uh, women and families and girls putting a face to this disorder. So because if you compare other disease states that are pretty well funded and have a lot of support, there is a huge advocacy and lobby effort behind funding research and programs to help these populations. Do you do do you think we need more professionals to take interest in the specialty and call? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the issues there and, and in particular for the younger investigators is that their research isn't being funded. So many of them are going to into other areas of health where they can get their research funded. So we're at this juncture, this really critical place where the the need is going up, but the researchers, the people who are entering the field, they're going down because they're frustrated. I speak to young investigators all the time who their research is not being funded. And so I think that that's going to change and that has to change very, very, very soon. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and how we're doing that is 
and this past uh, PCOS Advocacy Day, we were very excited that a third of the attendees were healthcare providers. So there were more doctors, there were more researchers. And the more that stakeholders come together, industry, um, industry, patients, providers, the more that everyone comes together to kind of put the sense of urgency that's needed behind this, uh, the more that, you know, the quicker we'll see results. Well, let's talk about the PCOS challenge in your Hill Day. Um, I know that, uh, I mean, just even doing the research and everything else, the PCOS challenge is the leading organization. So kudos to you for advocating for and shaping public policy uh, with regard to individuals impacted by PCOS. Um, And so every year you've hosted a Hill Day. Um, I think this year it was on the 4th of March. Am I correct? It was. Where you train your registered attendees to speak directly with federal lawmakers, educate those legislators about PCOS, and ask them for their commitment to help bring awareness campaigns and medical funding. Uh, What sort of people? I know you said a lot of, you know, medical professionals attended, but what sort of people attend this Hill Day event? And what's a sort of stories do they share with the lawmakers? And yeah. So PCOS Advocacy Day started from PCOS Challenge, uh, myself and a few volunteers back in 2017. Um, After being really frustrated, getting almost feeling like we're getting nowhere with um, trying to get more research uh, funding, we decided to do, um, I reached out to Representative David Scott of Georgia and told him, well, uh, please, we need, we need some way to, to raise awareness on the Hill. And so can you lead this resolution, uh, recognizing the seriousness of PCOS, can you, and, and finally designating September officially as PCOS Awareness Month. Um, So we started with kind of a strategic plan of how to, um, how to one, get our ultimate goal is a cure for PCOS. That's our, that's our overarching vision. But, but intermediately, um, getting PCOS recognized as the public health priority that it is. Um, So what that takes is getting people on the Hill, the legislators aware that there's this problem um, and connecting it to the the lack of funding for PCOS research. uh, The fact that PCOS research is primarily funded by one institute compared to most other disorders being funded by three or more institutes within the NIH is a huge problem and kind of a bottleneck and a source of uh, the lack of research, hence lack of awareness. So then we we did that resolution. We um, did the first congressional briefing, which is where um, staffers and others on the Hill will come to learn about PCOS and, and the issue. And then from there, this is is our fourth advocacy day, and it just began to grow. We the next the next year we had um, a celebrity Macy Bookow from MTV's um, Teen Mom 
uh, join us. The following year, we had um, another celebrity, um, Lauren Ash from, uh, from NBC's Superstore, join us. And so we started getting more and more people involved, celebrities, and then and researchers started to join us because we're trying to get you more money, guys, to, um, to fund PCOS research. And this year, a lot of clinicians also joined us. So that's your, your doctors of pediatrics, um, OBGYNs, um, uh, and other PCOS researchers. So, and, and also industry. What that looks like um, is you have people from industry, you have um, your doctors who are also very frustrated by the lack of resources for their patients. They're telling, and, and what that looks like when you meet with a congressional representative, you'll have your patients who are part of their district telling the representatives, the congressman, the senator, the congresswoman, how PCOS impacts them as individual, thus how it impacts the, the, their district. That's what they care about, how it impacts their district and what they can do about it. So, um, and then you have the clinicians or the researchers that can support the patient's personal stories with their science. And this is a really great combination of um, build, for building our case as to why PCOS needs to be a priority. Yeah. Is, is there also an effort to institute maybe some awareness of the condition in, you know, age-appropriate public school health curriculums? Yeah, so so these are these are goals that we want to achieve, but we have no money to do it. We have no um, support to do it. We absolutely do need to reach the um, the medical schools, the high schools, the you know. So there, can you believe that PCOS gets like maybe an hour or less? <laughs> That's how little it's taught in medical schools. And so we have people back to those medical professionals that really do need to be educated on it because that's yeah, that is definitely obviously a factor right there. Obviously a factor. Not even teaching it in the in the medical profession. So how do you expect legislators to put it into NIH and to put funding and research behind it if nobody even knows and nobody's talking about it? It's not even in the medical textbooks. Right. And, and so that, that's, that's one of the frustrating things that um, our uh, uh, medical and scientific advisors who teach medical schools, they're like, I only get maybe 30 minutes or an hour to speak about PCOS, this complex disorder, this prevalent disorder. Um, that's, that's all I get. And so unless uh, the medical students are or the residents or whoever, unless they take up uh, an interest in learning more, you know, it's, that's, that's creating a huge gap right there. Yeah. Like, I think if you're going to learn about um, diabetes, you should learn about PCOS. If you, if you want to, to, if you see women in, in healthcare at all, you should know about PCOS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially just thinking about it, I mean, when, and I've said it numerous times on this podcast, my thoughts of uh, when 
you know, kids have sex, sex education in school. And really, I think sex education in our school system is, okay, teaching each person, males, you have a penis, women, you have a vagina. And, you know, women, you'll get a period, men, you'll get whatever. But nobody really goes into depth. And maybe it shouldn't be I don't know if it's not taught in school or whatever, where else it's going to be taught. Because for a lot of people, parents, for instance, I didn't know what PCOS was mm-hmm. when I was growing up and never heard about it, didn't really experience it or whatever. And I definitely feel as parents, we it's our responsibility to educate our children. Um, but when they get into the school systems, I think that that's where they need to be adding more diversity to what it is that they're being taught. Um, and none of this is being taught. Like I said, they, they pretty much teach you about the anatomy of sex education. They don't really teach you about reproductive health and all of the things that we need to be concerned about from the time we're young and start going into that puberty age. I completely agree. I mean, there are issues that are impacting young people. Um, during the onset of adolescence and puberty, um, endometriosis, uh, PCOS, and and other things that we people need to know what's abnormal and what's normal. But that's those things are not taught. And this is something that I think partnerships between organizations like mine and others that focus on on this can we can really have an impact if we work together to try to get uh, these things taught. Um, but the the unfortunate thing though is um, how politicized um, sex ed is, and really it's. That's 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 a whole nother rabbit hole that <laughs> we don't have time for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So PCOS Challenge is, of course, a wonderful resource. I'm wondering if there are any additional resources, books or researchers whose work you value and encourage others to check out. Yes, there you know, there is a wealth of uh information and people, but it's just so much to wade through and you don't know what's accurate. There's just so much. Yeah, but you know what? I think a lot of the the nutritionists who specialize in PCOS or um, even have some health coaches, some functional medicine physicians, integrative medicine physicians, um, reproductive health specialists who specialize in PCOS. There are some really great, you know, really great people. It's, it's, it's a growing list. One of the things I can say is many of the providers um, went into the space because of their own personal journeys with PCOS. And, and that's how the, the list of people who have a better understanding of PCOS is growing because they have they have PCOS themselves or their wives have PCOS. Um, And so we um, are are connected and PCOS Challenge is now creating this database of of those who are, you know, PCOS specialists and we'll be releasing that shortly. Yeah, no, so so please connect to PCOS Challenge at PCOS Challenge on Instagram. And we're connected to uh, so many of the other specialists in this area. Yeah. And we'll definitely have all of the links and stuff in the show notes as well. So, um, well, what 
would you like to tell someone who may be thinking that they might have PCOS or maybe they just got diagnosed and just uh, completely at a loss and like, I don't even know what to do anymore? Yeah. And, and that's unfortunately common. Um, what I would say is, yeah, you have to be your own advocate. I know how frustrating that is. I have my own personal, I still deal with um, having to educate uh doctors or just other people about how PCOS impacts you and your personal goals. So don't allow um, even your doctor to tell you what your goals should be. So if you are a person who um, your goal is to get pregnant in the next year or two, um, just let let your physician know this is my goal. Um, How can I achieve my goal? having PCOS. Let them keep, keep, unfortunately, we have to, we have to keep uh, notes. We have, I think if we present them with information about what interventions we've had, what we've tried, what worked, what didn't work, that may help. But yeah, sometimes that's just not your person. If your doctor is, if you go to your doctor and the first thing they said to you is, well, okay, you must not be trying to lose weight because you know, or you must, you must be doing something wrong. That's not your person. Or you can choose to to spend time to educate them. But, you know, I think finding the person who wants to work with you and wants to be a part of your team is the, the person or people who want to be a part of your team and want to help you achieve your personal goal. Those are your people. So, if, and and unfortunately, a lot of people haven't been to the doctor in 10 years because of um, the bad experiences that they've had. Yeah, just those aren't your people. It's really frustrating. Let's, you know, I've had to go through many before I found people who would listen and who wanted to be on this journey with me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Sasha, for all that you are doing, all that you have done, all that you continue to plan on doing. Um, I think it's definitely uh, important. You know, we all have our, we all have our burdens and, and crosses to bear, you know, yours just happens to be PCOS, but you're taking it and not allowing that to kind of ruin you. You're taking it and moving forward and saying, okay, well, I see you and um, we're about to like, take care of you. So they have it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Um, I I really have to say that um, PCOS Challenge, the National Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Association would not be where we are without the blood, sweat, and tears from our volunteers. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and we're volunteer run organization. And this is because it's important to so many of us. And we understand as a collective that it's bigger than just us as individuals. And so we have to keep fighting, keep um, educating, keep uh, strategizing, keep moving forward uh, for the greater good of those who are currently impacted by PCOS, but for those who will be in the future so that they don't have to deal with what we're dealing with now. 
definitely. I agree. Well, you can learn more about PCOS by visiting PCOSchallenge.org, and we'll have all of the links in our show notes. Um, again, thank you, Sasha, for all your wonderful work and for uh, joining my podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you found this discussion helpful as you weigh your next steps. You can follow Fertility Cafe on its new Instagram and Facebook page under Family Inceptions. If you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, remember, love has no limits, neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.